The greatest yep. sermon on healing that that guy's going to be talking about ain't really got nothing to do with healing. Yeah. It's got something to do with the sign and a wonder. <laughs> and uh, that's the difference. Because the greatest sermon on healing would have to do with the forgiveness of sin. Right? Yes. And what that actually is. Because that's what heals. Amen. Right? And so for so long, human beings have, uh, we've worked our design to bring forth stuff. Right? And because we're the God kind and we're in the image of God, like, we brought forth some stuff. But I can tell you this, in Japan, the New Age people, they also bring forth some stuff. I mean, there was a guy, Lyndon, and his wife, Japeri, that came here. And he, he's from the islands. And so he grew up in the islands and grew up around witch doctors and stuff. He saw all kinds of supernatural stuff. Right? And so they could also bring forth supernatural stuff. It had nothing to do with God. Right. right? But they could bring forth the sign. And one of the reasons why the church labors underneath false doctrine and they get tossed to and fro all the time is because they're so moved by a sign. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you ain't even got to know God. But if you come up and show them a sign, listen, man, they're going to follow you. Right? They're going to follow you. It don't matter what it is. And that's a big problem in, in the church that, that we've lived that way and that we're so moved by those things. Because, man, what it really real reveals is that we ain't really been satisfied with Jesus and we need something else or we want something else. Yep. That doesn't mean there can't be a sign. Right? I've seen many signs. So it's not that it, there can't be a sign, but the sign is not that which has to declare God, right? right? There's sorcery and, and necromancers and, and people with spirits of familiarity, the familiar spirit like Paul encountered on the road. There's uh, the magicians that were Pharaoh's magicians that threw their staffs on the ground that also turned into snakes. Right. Listen, man, just because someone can perform a sign does not mean that that's healing, right? Right? And, yeah. and so people get confused about those kinds of things, and they end up with lust in their heart, where they're lusting after signs, lusting after wonders, instead of seeing like Jesus said. It's a perverse generation that seeks after a sign. You know what they're always saying to Jesus? Show us a sign. Show us a sign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one, one, it's a perverse generation that seeks after a sign. One sign shall be given you, the sign of Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days. Right? Yeah. Well, he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. Exactly. That's the sign. That's the only sign we should be living by. Now, in us living by the sign, we can find different signs and wonders that are meant to point us back to the sign. Right? They're not meant to get us to live our lives trying to bring about a sign. Right? So, hopefully that makes some sense. Go ahead, Cindy. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's all I had to say. Okay. When you were talking about healing, the... The, the one main true healing is the healing of your heart. Yeah. And it puts your flesh to rest. Yes. And then your flesh gets healed from gossiping, from backbiting, from envying. Right? right. Like if you want to look at Paul, when he was Saul, Paul would have told you he was sick and he needed a healing. Well, what was his sickness? He said he coveted the life of God. That's right. But he coveted it through the strength of the flesh. And so he was healed, meaning his flesh was satisfied by what he saw happen inside of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that satisfied his flesh. It healed him from the lust or the covetousness, and it put his flesh to rest. He was no longer a murderer. Yeah. He was no longer a gossiper. He was no longer a backbiter. <clears throat> he was no longer any of those things, right? He was healed. And so that, that's the, 
the main healing. And you see examples of this all throughout the scriptures. Jesus heals ten lepers. Nine of them just go away. Thanks, bro. We out. Yeah, that's right. Right? One of them grabs on to the truth. And it says one went away made whole. And so wholeness is not defined in you getting a physical sign. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? That doesn't mean you can't get a physical sign. But don't confuse a sign for the wholeness. The wholeness is found in you grabbing a hold of Jesus as the resurrection and the life. As you seeing Jesus is the substance of everything you've ever desired. Right? Everything you ever longed for is actually in Jesus. And if you don't understand what that means, that's okay. You start talking to God. And you say, I hear that. Intellectually, I can agree. Intellectually, I can't argue with that statement. It sounds right. But I don't understand how Jesus is the satisfaction of everything I'm longing for. And then so you ask the Holy Spirit to start cracking it open for you. Right? You ask the Holy Spirit to start revealing it to you. And that's why the author of Hebrews would say to the Hebrew people, listen, faith is the substance of things longed for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Right? And so many, it's like John would come and say, beloved, now are we the children of God, mm-hmm. though it's not yet seen what we shall be. Right? right? Yeah. And in another place, Hebrews comes and says, but we see Jesus. We don't yet see everything under our feet, but we see Jesus. Right? Mm-hmm. Seated at the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. That's the faith. What we see in Jesus, that faith is the substance. Within that faith that we see in Jesus, that word is the substance of everything we've ever longed for. Yeah. It is the evidence that even though we don't yet see it, maybe, we have it. Right. It's ours. Yes. Right? And nothing can take it from us. Right. Right? And so, so many times the things that makes the heart sick is that we busy yearning after something from the world. Or something we didn't get from the world. Or something we thought we should have gotten from the world. Or, or all, and then we live in all the time in regret. Yeah. And listen, the only reason why you live in, in regret is if you think the desire you long to feel satisfied is found in something in the world. Right. Otherwise, there is no regret. Because you just see it as some happenstance. And I, I, I hate to say it like that, but I will. Otherwise, you just see it as something that went down. But that couldn't satisfy my longing. And it's not actually what I'm longing for. And so, you can let it go without feeling regret. Mm-hmm. It come and it go. Listen, for so many years I lived in regret because I could run. And, and same thing with the basketball. And I did it better than everybody else. And I had like a surefire career, D1 scholarships, professional career, lots of money, all those things. It was like I had a lottery ticket. And for so many years, when I decided to go get high instead... And I decided to really get high and get high better than everyone else. I got high better than everybody else too. Right? I was the greatest at getting high. No one could get high like me. Right? And um, I lived in regret. Because I always looked back and thought, what if? Yeah. I blew my potential. Yeah. See, I was yearning after something. I didn't know what it was I was yearning after. And I thought it was wrapped up in the running. Mm-hmm. Or the basketball. Or all that. So I was always looking backwards. Looking at that, looking at that. Listen, I promise you this one thing, all looking back, never fill me with any happiness or peace. Because <laughs> it doesn't have happiness or peace in it. No. Even if you could go back in a time machine and change it all. Right. I remember the Lord told me one day, Greg, he said, Greg, I'll take you back there. We'll go back, we'll change it all. And you won't go get high. And you'll run. 
and you'll go and get a D1 scholarship, and you'll win the Olympics, and you'll break all these records. And, he, and then he said, and Greg, what will you have then? And he showed me that that would have never given me what I was longing for. Right. And that began the journey of him revealing what it is I was actually after and what it is I was actually longing for. And when he showed me that, do you know what happened? I stopped thinking of the former things. I stopped thinking of, I could have ran. I could have been a basketball. I stopped thinking of that. And you know what? I didn't freaking care. I don't freaking care. I go my, I've gone years without running. Just recently, I, I started running because I like it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then I, I don't have to run because I don't think I can get something from it. Right? Right? Like, we went and did the turkey trot. And I ran. You know, I didn't run again for like a month and a half. And you know what? I didn't freaking care. Do you know why? Because I've been persuaded that what I'm longing for ain't found in that. Right. Mm -hmm. you right? You did win the turkey trot. I did win the trot. <laughs> 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 funny, we're on the way home. I said, Michelle, you realize I ain't never showed up to a race that I didn't win? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the whole way there, he's like, I don't know how well this is going to go. I haven't run in years. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> he's going to hear that gun go off and I'm never going to see him again. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that faith is the substance of things longed for. And, and see, the, the author of Hebrews is talking to those Hebrews. You know what those Hebrews were longing for? To be sanctified from sin right. and the destruction that comes from sin. Yeah. That's what they wanted. That's what they were after. They called it the restoration of all things or the partaking of a righteous life. And the nation of Israel was all the time after partaking of a righteous life. Yeah. And they defined a righteous life by being cleansed from mm -hmm. the death that sin serves with. And so the, the letter of the Hebrews, those guys were doing all these rituals and everything still. Mm -hmm. Desiring to be sanctified from sin and death. And the author of Hebrews comes and he's trying to get them to no longer look to those things... As if the, within that is what will cleanse them from sin. But he comes talking about how the substance of all the things you're longing for, your desire to be cleansed from sin, to be cleansed from death, to be sanctified once for all time, your desire to partake of a righteous life. Listen, man, the substance of all of that, it's contained in the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ. It's contained in the lamb that God provided himself. Right? And that man, Jesus, that faith that we see in Jesus, it's the evidence that even though you might not see immortal flesh yet, it's the evidence that now you're possessing an incorruptible life. That now you've already been perfected. You know why we're longing for something in this world? We think it will perfect us. We think perfection is found on the other side of that. Right? I mean, Cindy and I were just talking about the Patriot News. Do you know why there is such a thing as the Patriot News? Because people think perfection is found on the other side of the government getting it right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what is their mind always filled with? Mm -hmm. The government getting it right. Now we can laugh and make fun of the government and how bad they get it wrong. Hallelujah. I do that all the time. Yep. Right? But it's like, do I think that they can get it right? No. no. Do you know why they can't get it right? Because it ain't built upon the government that's on Jesus' indestructible life. Right. It's built upon a perishable life. The whole system is centered around a perishable life. Yeah. A perishable life can never get it right. Neither can it ever serve people with the righteous life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It just can't. And so 
The idea that we're looking at the corrupt government as if it could somehow no longer be corrupt, it's nonsense. Why do you think Ronald Reagan said that in the day the government comes and says they're your friend, run. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was the head of the government. That's right. <laughs> and all the people that are so upset about the corruption of the government, they long for Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Well, Ronald Reagan would come and tell you, don't ever expect anything good from the government. <clears throat> right. Yeah. That was his mantra. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was his whole mantra. That's pretty smart. It was very yeah. smart. But anyway, um, I, I do want to cover this for uh, Joe. Does anybody have something that this front and center in their minds? I don't want to cut everybody off. If there's something anybody wants to bring up. But while I was gone, I watched all the stuff. Because I love watching this stuff. <laughs> and you guys might think I love listening to myself talk. But I promise you this, I don't listen to my own messages. <laughs> I listen to you guys' messages. And one of the reasons why I love listening to it is because they trigger me, right? And that was always one of my, my visions for the church. I don't like to call it that, but just allot me that word. Is yeah. that I would say something, it would trigger something in somebody else, they would get up and say something. That would trigger something in me, right? And then it would be like this back and forth. So listening to one of the, the Bible studies, Joe, it was after what we preached about the Sabbath. Yeah, right. Um, and how the Sabbath is, oh, but... Oh, I'll talk to you after. <laughs> We're on recording right now. That doesn't need to be on recording. Um, but we preach that the Sabbath is actually not about us performing rest. The Sabbath is actually the declaration of the work of God. That's what the Sabbath is. Right? Now, the result of the Sabbath is you'll be served with rest. That's why Jesus would come and say that man is not for the Sabbath, but Sabbath is for man. Mm -hmm. Right? And the, the Pharisees came to Jesus, and he was healing people on the Sabbath. His disciples were picking food on the Sabbath. They were always doing things on the Sabbath. You go back and look, Jesus was always working on the Sabbath. There's no accident he was doing that. And he wasn't just trying to agitate people. Jesus was not an antagonist. He wasn't like, let's, let's just get in there and poke the bear. <laughs> but I promise you, if you're just busy with the truth, it will poke the bear. Right? And so when Jesus was going around healing on the Sabbath, it wasn't like, well, let's aggravate these Pharisees. Let's show how religious they are. No, no, no. The reason he was doing that is because he saw in the scriptures that the Sabbath was about the work of the Father. And that the Father doth work. And that's the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And the, the work the Father does is to serve people with life and God-likeness. That's the work of the Father. To heal from sin and death and to serve people with life and godlikeness. Right. And so Jesus saw that's what the Sabbath was about. So he's walking around all the time healing on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees come contesting Jesus, and Jesus is like, hey, I know you guys think the Sabbath is about how you must rest, but let me tell you what, when I read in the scriptures about the Sabbath, I see that the Sabbath is about the Father worketh. Mm. And I do worketh. And so that's what he's doing, mm. right? And so that's what the Sabbath is actually about. You ever notice how humans, we always gravitate to the fruit and never to the root? Absolutely. You ever notice that? Even with the Sabbath, we look at the rest. The rest is good. We must rest. Yeah. And no one was the chief of we must rest but me. I was the chief of we must rest. We must rest. Right? Because I, we, we're not supposed to work. Right? Even if you're trying not to work. If you're trying not to work, you're working. working. <laughs> that's right. Right? Because you're the one that's trying to produce the rest. 
Rather just sit and let your eyes be fixed on the work of the Father. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So, getting to the root, this upsets people because it sounds so contradictory. The Sabbath is about the work of God. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That's why Paul, the author of Hebrews comes and says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Right? In light of everything that you're desiring, having been fulfilled in the Christ, in the Lamb that God provided, that doesn't mean we're going to stop assembling together. Just because you ain't got to do these rituals anymore doesn't mean we ain't going to assemble together. But let me tell you what our assembly is about now. And assembling was the Sabbath. It was the observation of the Sabbath. And so the assembling of the Sabbath, man, is that we're going to observe the work of the Father. And, the, and what He did to sanctify us once for all time. We're going to come together and we're going to eat the body and the blood of His Lamb. I know on the Passover, we ate the body and blood of a physical lamb. But let me tell you what, that lamb could never sanctify us. God provided a lamb, and we're going to come together, and we're going to feast on the lamb he provided and the work that he's done. And that's going to exhort us unto the love of God, right? Here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loves us, right? So Joe brought up a good point, because in the scriptures... It talks about the resurrection. Joe asked about Jesus being raised from the dead. And she said that that would be um, very cool um, if... Man, I thought I had the note on here. I'm trying to... Oh, there it is. It'd be very cool if Jesus was raised on the, the Sabbath. Raised from the dead on the Sabbath. Right? And so she's looking at the scriptures and she brought up the idea that there's all types of different Sabbaths. And so is it possible that he was raised on one of the Sabbaths? Mm -hmm. And there is all types of Sabbaths for you guys, if you're wondering. You can go back in Leviticus and you can read all the Sabbaths. You have annual Sabbaths. You have weekly Sabbaths. You have Sabbaths that are pertaining to the feasts. You have feast days. You have Sabbath, like the eighth day of the great feast was a Sabbath, a holy convocation unto the Lord. A holy convocation unto the Lord is a gathering where you're observing the work of the Lord. Mm. That's what it is, right? Now that will put you to rest. And so there's all types of Sabbaths. Um, and the scriptures, we'll just read um, the scriptures. Um, and we'll read it from the English interpretation of the King James first, if you guys will just allot me to run through these. And then we'll read it from the Greek translation we'll start with matthew and it's in all four gospels i think matthew 28 1 in the end of the sabbath this is how it reads in the end of the sabbath as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week came mary magdalene and the other mary to see the sepulchre right so it reads the end of the sabbath this is one of the reasons why gentile churches have made church on sunday we don't need to argue about that because if you think that there's some sin that we were meeting on Sunday and acting like Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday, you're also still missing it, mm. right? Yeah. You're, you're just busy with the same thing, <laughs> yeah. all right? So we, we don't want to get caught up there. Then we're going to go to Mark. If you think there's a sin, you're in sin. That's right. We'll go to Mark 16, 2. This is how Mark says it. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. This is all talking about the day Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay? Um, then Luke 24, 1. Luke 24, 1. Now upon the first day of the week. 
Yeah. You guys keep it. Now upon the first day of the week. So the Sabbath is over, the dawn of the first day. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and then we finish with John chapter 20, and we'll just read verse 1, but it also is this way in verse 19. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene, early when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. So all that sounds like it wasn't the Sabbath. Okay? Yeah. Now, here's what it reads in the Greek. This is Matthew 28, 1. And on the eve of the Sabbaths, at the dawn, toward the first of the Sabbaths, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. That's Matthew 28, 1. The first of the Sabbaths, okay? That's significant um, to Jewish people, not to Gentile people, because we, don't, we don't, weren't raised thinking of the feast. This is Mark 16, 2. And early in the morning of the first of the Sabbaths, they come unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. It's the day Jesus was raised from the dead. Here's in the Greek, Mark calling it the first of the Sabbaths. Luke 24, 1. And on the first of the Sabbaths, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bearing the spices they made ready, and certain others with them. John 20, verse 1. And on the first of the Sabbaths, Mary Magdalene doth come early, there being yet darkness to the tomb. And she sees the stone having been taken away out of the tomb. So all those verses declare that Jesus was raised from the dead on the first of the Sabbaths. Now, the first of the Sabbaths is something called the Feast of Weeks, where they counted seven Sabbaths, right? And they counted seven Sabbaths to the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. That's why they counted those seven Sabbaths, right? Mm. And so Jesus was raised from the dead on the first Sabbath in the series of the seven Sabbaths that would ultimately result in the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh, Okay. And so that's what Joe was talking about when she was talking about different Sabbaths. And when you go back and look at that week, there was a Sabbath for the Feast of Passover because that's a holy day. Mm -hmm. And so they had a Sabbath. And in fact, there were three Sabbaths that week that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. And he was raised from the dead on the first of the Sabbaths, right? And if you go back and look at the Hebrew calendar, which tracks everything by moons, that's how they set Sabbaths. They're not on the, the Gentile calendar. Their new year, we're going to get into this today, but their new year is not our new year. Right? right? Their new year would be in September. Mm -hmm. It's not in January. And so they, if you go back and look, and you look at when Jesus actually would have died based on the record of the Sabbaths and the record of the Holy Spirit being poured out, Jesus was raised, on, raised from the dead on the Sabbath. And it was the first of the Sabbaths. The beginning of the Feast of Weeks is what it's called to Jewish people. Okay? So Jesus was raised from the dead on a Sabbath. And so if that's not the ultimate sign of what the Sabbath is, I don't know. It makes you wonder how the Jewish people still don't see it. <laughs> Some do. Like, like, Eli like God told Elijah, I have reserved a remnant. Right. Right? Some do. Some do see it. Some do see it, but you're right. By and large, the large majority do not see it. And, and Romans would come and say that, Blindness in part has come to Israel till the fullness of the Gentiles come in, right? And if people are wondering, well, how could Israel be blind? Israel missed 
the part that Messiah would come and take sin and death into himself. So their whole thought of Messiah is he's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's that great prophet. He's that great judge. He's that great lawgiver. Well, do you know what's wrapped up in all that terminology? A guy coming and establishing a righteous life. A guy coming and restoring all things. Well, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on a colt and got nailed to a piece of wood, all the Jewish people know that cursed are those that are nailed to a piece of wood. Mm-hmm. So he can't be Messiah. And so the reason they missed Messiah is because they missed Isaiah talking about Messiah coming and suffering. And they missed the restoration of all things was about creation being restored from death to life. And they didn't realize that Messiah would first have to take death into himself so that in him doing that, the incorruptible life that he is could then administer life to all flesh in all creation. They missed that. But I tell you what, there's a whole, this is what's weird about some of the Jewish people. They ain't atheists like Gentile people that reject Jesus. They're not typical atheists like we would think of atheists. Well, we say, yeah, but they don't believe in Jesus, so they're atheists. But they're believing in Messiah coming and believing that Messiah is coming in the name of the Lord and that he's coming to restore all things. So they do have faith in a Messiah and in Messiah and in God rectifying everything. Mm -hmm. They just missed that it's this man, Jesus. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, when Jesus comes back the second time, Hebrews says he ain't coming back to deal with sin. He's coming back to administer life. He's coming back as judge, not to condemn, but to establish a righteous life for people to partake of. Mm -hmm. He's coming back to restore all things to God's original intent when he created everything. And you know what? A lot of the people in in Israel that are actually believing in God and a Messiah, that's why they're going to know Jesus is Messiah when he comes the second time. Because he's coming the second time to do everything they thought he was coming the first time to do. And that's why Zechariah would come and say that they will see the one whom they pierced and they will mourn. Mm. And that's why Paul says, blindness in part has come to Israel till the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. He goes on to say, though, but that when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, man, listen, Israel, all Israel, and so all Israel will be saved. He's not talking about all Jewish people. He's saying a whole lot of Jewish guys are coming into the kingdom. Because they are looking for Messiah. Mm. And when Jesus shows back up, coming from the east, like a ball of lightning, I promise you those Jewish guys are going to be the first people that are like, Messiah! Mm-hmm. And they're going to mourn. And mourn does not just mean cry. It means to repent. They're going to see that they pierced Messiah. And they're going to do like you read in the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish things. You know what they would do? They would rent their chest. Oh, Lord! And they'll weep because they miss God. Right? Yeah. And so Jesus was raised from the dead on the Sabbath. The Father doth worketh. <laughs> and at the beginning, at the eve of the, the, the first of the Sabbaths, in the morning of the first of the Sabbaths, Jesus was raised from the dead. So how do you think he was raised from the dead? By the Father. The, father, the work of the Father. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah. That's the Sabbath. Yeah. Now, we observe the Father's work on the Sabbath. You know what that does? Causes us to rest from our works. Because why are we working? We're working trying to cleanse ourselves from the sting of death. 
Mm. We're working trying to cleanse ourselves from sin and the death that sin was wounding us with. We're working trying to eradicate sin from this world. Right? Yes. Well, now God showed up and he raised Jesus from the dead free from death, death having been utterly destroyed inside of his body for eternity. God brought eternal destruction to death inside of the body of Jesus Christ. And now that's what we see mm-hmm. on the Sabbath. Go ahead, Jay. Sorry. So uh, that doesn't seem like a difficult translation from the Greek. Why, why in all four of those Gospels in the translation you read, was it translated as early in the week as opposed to first of the Sabbath? Well, there's a whole lot we can get into about that, and, and, and a lot of people do. I didn't because, again, it gets into arguing about mm-hmm. whether the days matter. Right. 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 They okay. miss the point. What I would want to say is it don't matter if it was Saturday or Sunday. No. What matters is that you realize it's the Sabbath. Yes. Right. Right? right? And so that is a gripe to have. Yeah. Right, but if if you go back and study it, people come up with a lot of different reasons. Um, when uh, Constantine Constantine come in, that's when things started to be changed. Right, right, and they changed it to Sunday. You know, to to the point where you're talking about that specific day. I, I sat there and I looked at that and I did one of these things, and then I thought about Tom saying, "Every day is Father's Day," and I went, "And every day is Sabbath." Yes. Absolutely. You know? Like Maurice made a beautiful post about the Sabbath is not about a day you observe. Right. Yep. And if you think it is, you are missing it. <laughs> right. Yes, right. Exactly. And if you're not, if you, I don't even want to say it this way, not in the way the carnal mind thinks of it, but listen, man, if your heart ain't observing Sabbath every day, then right. you don't know what it is. <laughs> and I don't mean it's like a cognizant thing where you're going over to the corner. We're going to observe some Sabbath today. <laughs> right. No, I mean like right. if your heart ain't all the t- days of your life filled with the knowing that God conquered death in the flesh of Jesus, right, and served us with his life free from our works, Listen, man, if, if your heart isn't filled with that, you're never observing the Sabbath, even if you take out a whole day to do all the rituals. You ain't observing the Sabbath. You're observing the carnal mind yep. and your own vain imagination and your own works, right? And for so long, I mean, I, for so long, I saw that sin is a wisdom. And it's a wisdom that says, I will be exalted by the strength of my own hand to gather life to myself. Mm-hmm. And that's true. And that was good that I saw that. And it was good that I preached that. And it helped me tremendously. But listen, ultimately, when I was just left with that, I was still trying to not work because I saw work was evil. So let me not work, right? Then it started shifting when I started realizing, no, no, no. If God is God, it means he's going to put me to rest. And it ain't going to be by him telling me not to work. It's going to be by him doing a work in my midst Mm -hmm. that I'm so captivated by that I made still in awe and reverence, fatherly reverence. And that's not piety like we think of piety. It's that you're made still because you're in awe of the work that he's done. And that's what it means. I shall do a work in their midst that they shall by no means believe. That's what he's talking about. You're like, what? Mm -hmm. And you're just made still. Mm-hmm. Right. That kind of describes the uh, dynamic of church, what I call churchianity, where you go, you're taught, go from law. You're no longer under law; you're under grace. 
but you're actually under grace with a carnal mindset, which actually is legalistic and religious. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you're taught different terminology as if you're now free, but you're actually still held captive by the wisdom of sin. Yeah. <laughs> and you can you can work uh, these principles, which is 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 tantamount to working the religious rituals. To have life and acceptance in God's eyes, mm. and it's just actually the same thing. Right. Yeah, that's so why it's Paul just cam it's just camouflaged. And uh, you know, having come out of the Catholic Church, I was pretty bitter towards the Catholic Church, and now having coming out of Churchianity, <laughs> I might feel the same way. It's no, longer, no longer bitter, but I see them as equivalents. That's right. It's like they're both death. Right. Right. I can laugh about it now, but I mean, still, you know, when you go through the. 101, 102 church programs, you're really being indoctrinated with the same self-effort mindset. You bet. Yeah. You bet. Yeah, they never and you don't have to know what no. Sabbath means or the, or the great explanation you just gave to actually being enjoying the Sabbath. No. No, but it, it just goes further to demonstrate that the Sabbath is about the work of God. Yeah. Because on the first of the Sabbath, what happened? The Father did a work. Yes. And you know what? It's a, you could get into all types of things about that. That's the new creation. Okay, well, what would the Father do in the beginning? He did a work to provide all things that were needed for life and God-likeness for Adam. Yeah. And what was Adam created to do? Walk in the Father's good work. Right. Right? He was created to have his eyes set on the work the Father did to serve him with all things that pertain to life and God-likeness. Matt, you still got on your tongue what you're about to say? Oh, you just went there, though. Uh, but that's why Paul would come along and say, neither circumcision of Baileth nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Yeah, that's right. And what, we, what you're talking about is we've tried to make uncircumcision a veil. Yeah, yep. that's exactly mm -hmm. the same. Yeah, yeah, we, we come in, we're going to be justified now by being uncircumcised. Right. <laughs> that's right. We're going to be justified by our being against the law. <laughs> right? Well, you're justified by for the law. No, 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 no. We're going to be justified because we're against the law. And it breaks my heart because so many grace people are squarely there. Yep. Right? Yep. And, and Paul would come and say, uh, listen, man, you're not justified by being against the law just like you ain't justified by being for the law. Maurice. You know, I looked up Sabbath in, in the Greek, and it says to uh, desist from exertion desist from exertion and it also says to suffer to be lacking in other words to come to a point where you see yourself as lacking nothing so when you see yourself as lacking nothing you cease to exert yeah. your effort and when you come to that rest you have the Sabbath rest yeah. and that's not a rest that comes on a particular day it's a it's a rest that you possess because you have found yourself ceasing to lack, it, and that's a good place to rest. It's a magnificent, <laughs> and it's, it's not like not working, uh, you know, cutting right. grass on Sunday or whatever. No, and, and what, what's what's interesting about this, it, when you see that the Sabbath is about the work of the Father, there is grace for you. In the work of the Father, you path, mm. and you will find yourself animated with the strength of God mm. while being at rest. <laughs> and that sounds like a contradiction. Yep, it confounds the carnal <laughs> mind, the wisdom of the world. Because how could you be laboring more while at rest? And it, it, it epitomizes what Paul said. He said, "I labored more abundantly than them all, yet not I." 
but the grace of God in me. Right? You see, Paul recognized, just like Jesus, Jesus saw the work of the Father. And so it animated him with the supernatural strength. The Father gave birth to himself in Jesus. You could say the Father manifested in Jesus. Jesus is the Father. And when your eyes are squarely set on the work of the Father and not all this other nonsense, you know what happens? The Father's strength is born in you. And I promise you, when the Father's strength is born in you, you'll find yourself doing all kinds of things. Not because someone told you you should or someone told you you must. It'll be like, woe is me if I don't. Yeah. You start to feel frustrated. Right? Right? Mm-hmm. I wish the uh, law was taught, taught as these are things that will happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. The law is taught as yeah. these are things you should do. Uh-huh. Yeah. As opposed to this is what God's going to bring about. I went to a funeral yesterday. You know, what, what are you reading every obituary and you're at every funeral? what this guy accomplished. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's how it was yesterday. There was some of that, but uh, I was thinking, you know, I would want my eulogy to be a, a, uh, a, uh, a talk about what God did, did, did made happen for me. Mm-hmm. You know? Not, not because I would put the focus on God and that's all magnanimous or anything, but rather just so people would understand a good life is something that happens to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not something that you do yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. I like that. Yeah. Which, which amazingly, it, it's amazing to think. And that's the dynamic of the Sabbath as well, of course. The, uh, it's yeah. a dynamic of everything. Yeah. The whole dynamic of the judges. The ancient Hebrew concept of a judge wasn't that they come and punish. It wasn't that they come and condemn. The whole idea of a Hebrew judge was that they came and established a righteous life for the people and the people just came and partook of it that was the whole concept of a judge that was the whole concept of judgment right the restoration of all things the ancient hebrew people the 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 day of atonement wasn't the day of punishment it was the day of the restoration of all things when peter come and said when will be when will israel be restored when will be the restitution of all things he's talking about the atonement and so that's the whole point of the judge they come and establish, and you see that throughout the whole book of Judges. When you notice it, and if you just take Gideon, for example, how did he establish a righteous life for the people? Because he was one of the judges. It says he climbed up into the high groves and kicked over the idols that were in the high places. Kicked over the things that were serving the people with death. Kicked them over. And then he went into the camp of the enemy, which is death, and he took the earthen vessel that had a light in it, and he smashed it on the ground. And then they blew a trump. Well, the earthen vessel with the light in it, that's Christ crucified. Mm -hmm. And so he goes into the camp of the enemy that's serving the people with death, and he breaks his body so that the incorruptible seed that was in his body could manifest. And they blew the trump. Do you know the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah? They blow a trump and they make a great shout. Do you know what's interesting about what they shout? Father, Father. Really? And they're so ignorant about what it means. They come and say the shouting's not important, what we shout. It's just that we're shouting. And if you go look back in the Old Testament scriptures, when they're going into a battle, they blew trumps. And you know what they're saying? Father, Father, save us. Deliver us from our enemies. What did Jesus say on the cross? It says he cried, Father. And with the sound of a trump. Right? And the shout of the great messenger. 
save me. Hebrew says he looked to the one who could save him. Father. Yes. The Hebrew, the Hebrew the Israel comes together on Rosh Hashanah, the celebration of the head of the year, the new year, which actually is a commemoration to the new creation, and they shout, Father, Father, <laughs> while looking towards the Day of Atonement and the Day of Judgment. Father, Father. Wow. I need to get up in the Jewish church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, be like, <laughs> and it would be just like God. Listen, I'm not smart enough to know this stuff. I promise you. At some point, I, I, I committed my imagination to the hands of God and said, Lord, I love the technical side of Greg, right? But I want my imagination to be animated by you also. And then I let God start connecting everything. Mm -hmm. Because your technical side can keep making the scriptures like a mathematical equation. Right. And if you keep making it a mathematical equation, and you don't see that within those mathematics is a beautiful poem or a beautiful painting, right. you ain't never going to understand anything or right. see the Spirit. Yeah. Right? But it's like it would be just like God to confound the Jewish world in the midst of their feast with the Gentile guy. <laughs> He'd come and take a Gentile guy to come and explain their law to them. That's right. <laughs> it would be just like it. <laughs> and there's a lot of details I leave out because it's the spirit that's important. Uh -huh. Right? And listen, if you look in their details and you know the Christ, it's dripping with life. Mm -hmm. But if you look at their details and you don't know the word that was made flesh in Jesus, you miss all yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. You don't make the connections. Right. Right? They come together and they do all those rituals. Even Messianic Jewish people, they come together and they do all those rituals. I promise you they don't come together and talk about how Jesus cried out, Father, on the cross. They don't come together and talk about how this shout, Father, Father, is in the likeness of the Son when he was nailed to a tree. And he was looking towards the Father, restoring him to the life that he had with the Father from the beginning. The restoration of all things. Father, Father. You know, it, it's interesting you bring up the whole thing about getting into the Word and getting all technical with it, but then full understanding is, is always a dance. It's always poetic. It's always, I mean, I mean it's a sacred romance, you know, and it, you can break down some things and then you just have to dance, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, let go and yeah it, it's it's trusting that you're being led um, I I can wrestle with so many things in my head to where I I try and sort it all out and then when I think I have it all on the table I go I got this I got this I got this and it's like you know God will just come in and go yeah Phil boom <laughs> and I'm like wait <laughs> and it's like it's never ending the revelation of it all and I wouldn't want it any other way no. but you, you hit on an important point Israel at the time of Jesus came and long before that were literalists mm -hmm. they read the letter of the scripture right? they never saw the spirit ever because of that, they missed God when God stood in their midst. And Jesus even told them, you do greatly err not knowing the scriptures. Now, what do you think that sounded like to a group of people that had every jot and tittle memorized mm. in their head? You do greatly err not knowing the scripture. Well, let me sit here. You ever seen the book of Eli? Where at the end he lays down and he committed the whole Bible to memory? 
And when they're trying to scribe a Bible because it's the apocalypse and all the Bibles have been burned and the only one is a Braille Bible, and so there's no Bible in the world anymore, he committed the, he's blind, he committed the Bible to memory, and he's dying, and he lays down on the bed, and he dictates the whole thing. The whole thing. Now imagine Jesus telling a guy, people they don't know the Scripture. Imagine those guys, well, I'll quote every single jot and tittle for you right now. Mm-hmm. And they're so lifted up in their quotations. And Jesus is the Word made flesh. Can you imagine that? And listen, the Christian church finds itself in, I want to say, almost an equivalent place that Israel was at the time that Jesus came in. Right? We're so lifted up in ourselves. We're the special people of God. Right? And we're very literalist in our rendering of Scripture. Still not looking at the Christ that is the Word. Still looking at our, the letter and interpreting the letter and missing the Spirit completely. It's like we repeat it the same thing. Like Paul says to the Gentile people in the book of Romans. Now, because he just explained how Israel had a zeal for God, and that's where the church is right now. Listen, most churches in, in America, Christian churches, they got a zeal for God. It's just not according to knowledge. And so Paul come and said, he, he laid out how Israel missed God and how they sought after the righteousness, but not the righteousness that was spoken about in the law. Right. They sought after their own righteousness, mm-hmm. right? Because the law spoke about the righteousness of God, not your righteousness. And he said, they missed it. And then he comes and says, and you Gentile people, don't you now think you're the special people of God? Mm-hmm. As God has now abandoned them. Right. Don't you make the same error they made? Well, I promise you, the Gentile church has made the same error that they all made. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just as exclusive. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. just as exclusive. It's absolutely just as filled with a sin consciousness. The Gentile church is consumed with the remembrance of sin. Yes, yeah. totally. Which is what Israel was before before Jesus yeah, came. That's the purported basis on which they exclude. That's right. He can't be saved. Look at him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love how you say that. That is the purported basis from which they exclude. Mm. Right? You know, it was that mentality and that belief system that was in the Jewish nation at that time that caused it to be the right time for the coming of the Messiah. And I think it's going to be that same system of thinking that's in the world at his second coming. It's going to be, a, you know. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. Mm. Right. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the Sabbath. God right. raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah. I get so excited about these things. I know, listen, I told Jay, I'm so thankful that you get up there and talk because people will like me better. <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't mean in comparison. What I meant was, I've been talking so much that people, it doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with them or me. They can grow tired of hearing my voice. Mm. They can grow tired of hearing what I say. You know, and it's nice when other people will get up and talk, right? Because it's the same truth, but it's a different voice. It's expressed in a different way, right? And so I'm very thankful for Maurice and for Jay and for everybody else that gets up and shares because it's it's good for the body, Mm. right? It's good, and it... Well, I say it's good for the body. It's good for me. Do you know how triggered I get when people talk? I don't think people understand what... See, I'm acutely aware of dynamics. And so when people are preaching the gospel, like I don't just see some person up there talking. Do you know what I see? I see the Holy Spirit releasing into the room. I see the Holy Spirit hovering. And I see the Holy Spirit painting 
pictures yes. and connecting dots. Right. And I find all kind of things going on inside of me. Mm. And I'm just like, right? Yeah. From Jared preaching, from Maurice preaching, from you preaching. So much of what you said, I mean, I built my whole message sitting there. <laughs> right? And when I was thinking about preaching about the new creation, I wasn't thinking about the new year at all. Yeah. And I don't know why I wasn't, but when you started talking about that, I was like, oh yeah, Rosh Hashanah, that's the new, oh yeah, they celebrate creation. <laughs> the reason their new year is in on Rosh Hashanah and not January is because they consider the new year to be the day creation was made. That's why they celebrate it. And you know, they call, there's a reason they celebrate creation on the new year. Because it's supposed to declare a new creation. Yeah. And, and in declaring the new, do you know what you do? You make the first old. Yes. <laughs> and that which is old is decaying and passing away in your memory. Yeah. Mm. And you know what the old is? Death. Yeah. A corruptible life. Right. Sin. And declaring a new creation, what happens is it has a subconscious effect on you. Mm -hmm. It saturates your steps with the new life. Yeah. Because it pushes out of your conscience. That's the conscience being cleansed from sin. It pushes out of your conscience the old. Mm -hmm. It's saturated with the life that's perishing. <laughs> they don't even know any of that. <laughs> they don't make any of those connections. I, trust me, I search. They, don't, they talk about all the stuff. They don't connect any of it. Wow. And then I go and read it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> and then like with Isaiah 43, right? Forget yes. the former things. Yes. Right? And what he talks about, I'm going to do a new thing. Yeah. And he, 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 he's prophesying of their exile from Babylon. Exile from what? The land that was flowing with milk and honey. They thought the provision for life was in the land. Right. Mm -hmm. He comes talking about, I will give you rivers of waters in the wilderness and in the desert. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward to Revelation 21, where Alpha and Omega says he makes all things new. And there's a new Jerusalem, for heaven and earth have become one. And I will give unto those who are athirst water. <laughs> What's he giving us? A land. Yes. A new land. Right. One cleansed from sin and death. Right. Hallelujah. Jay, you said something, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm messing it up right now in my head, but you, you, you brought up the point about Looking forward is how you are actually in the presence. Do you remember that? No. Nope. The study. <laughs> That's how you're in the present. That's how. Yeah. No, I don't think I said that. I no, think I, someone I else said, said that. You yeah. said that. Oh, yeah. Okay. You All can't right. be present unless your mind is filled with the new creation. Exactly. Okay. All right. You yeah. can't be present unless your mind is filled with an incorruptible life, because to be present is to not be carrying the burden of your life, right? Okay. If you're carrying the burden of having life, you know what you're doing? You're looking back all the time, like I said at the beginning, because you're thinking of all the things you jacked up that are keeping you from having the life you need. Exactly. Right? Yep. And you're all the time thinking in the future, right? About, oh, I'll have a life one day, maybe. Right? As you, soon as. Yeah, as soon as. Mm -hmm. You're not living in the moment, right? You can only be in the moment if you're persuaded you have a life that can't die. Right. The only thing that can persuade you you have a life that can't die is for you to be believing on the Christ. Right? Mm. Because God's the only immortal. Right. You can play all the mental calisthenics you like. Yeah. Buddha played a lot of them. Right? Yeah. Buddha recognized peace and love and joy is good. Buddha recognized their well their their lack is the problem. Right? Mm -hmm. But then Buddha used his own ability to try to purge the lack from himself. His own mental calisthenics. Right. His own meditation. 
right? Sure. Yeah. That's sin. Yeah. And, exactly. And that ain't going to do nothing for you on the last day. Yeah, right. When you stand, when you stand up. I like the litmus test. Is it going to bring you out of the grave? That's right. Mm. That's the easiest way to cut through any carnal thinking, yeah. mm. any carnal teaching. Yep. Is it going to bring you? That's great. It's going to bring you out of the grave. Right. Yeah. That it ain't the gospel. <laughs> that it ain't the gospel. I told a plumber at my house that the other day. He's just stopped. He couldn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> he was going on and on. I said, I, that's great. It's going to bring you out of the grave. <laughs> yeah, left, with, left with that. It's the great equalizer. <clears throat> and just intellectually speaking, that's one of the things about Jesus. You know, a million and one people have declared a way unto life. Yes. <laughs> ain't nobody showed a life that can't die other than Jesus. Jesus. So a million and one people have talked a, a, a bunch of wise things about having life. Ain't nobody come out of the grave in a body that can't die. Right. Mm -hmm. So do you know what that makes all of them? Thieves and robbers. Mm -hmm. Liars. Jesus said, blessed are those who tell you these things and demonstrate them. Mm. <laughs> so he told you about a life that couldn't die. He told you how you got it. And then he came out of the grave in a body that had overcome death. Yeah. Touch me. And that's what I told all the Buddhist monks in that school in Boulder. Show me Buddha in a glorified body that I can touch. And then maybe I'll think about what he has to say. Yeah. Because if he, can't, if, he, if he ain't got that, then he don't have the words of life. Right. And if whoever you're listening to don't have that, they don't have the words of life. And that's the metric by which you gauge who has the words of life, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Who has a glorified immortal body that hasn't died? Who? What prophet? Yeah. There's only one. Only one. That's right. There's only one. Nobody else has that. I mean, it's real simple. Yeah. God decided the matter for us. Again, judge. Yeah. He mm -hmm. issued a decree. Yeah. My children want life. They see that it's good. And they're busy with all these different things trying to have it. All right, we're going to decide the matter for them. Jesus, you're going to come into the earth. You're going to declare the way unto life. Then you're going to die. Then you're going to come out of the grave never to be able to die again, thus proving that your words were the only way unto life, thus demonstrating everybody else that said they had the words of life actually didn't because none of them came out of the grave never to die again. Yes. Amen. Right? Amen. That's the real simple thing. And that's, listen, I reason with a lot of people that don't believe in, in God. Or Jesus. Or, you know, they believe a lot of strange things about God. They don't know God as Father mm -hmm. or in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? And that's what I reason. Yeah. That's that's what I yeah. use. Right? Because that's like a, that's the metric. We're supposed to do that. Yeah. That's why we believe. I'm going to preach a message probably this year about why, what do we believe and why do we believe it? Ah. Right? Mm. Good one. Good one. Glory awesome. to God. You guys are awesome. Thank you so awesome. much. Awesome.